my lived experience is the the foundation of black women in excellence i've taken you know a lot of pain and trauma and turn into a learning curve for me and a testimony for me and then turn that into an organization where i'm helping other black women hi i'm matt and i'm anuj and you're listening to the Just Good Business podcast. It's a show about amplifying the voices of social enterprises, the humans behind them, and the journey they are on. Join us as we learn from Nova Scotia's social enterprises, hearing what inspired them to take the unusual path for doing social good, creating prosperity beyond profit. Let's explore Nova Scotia's world of social entrepreneurship together. Who knows? you may be closer to running your own social enterprise than you think. Today's guest is a well-known homegrown entrepreneur, Tia Upshaw. Many describe her as a force of nature. Despite every possible barrier she faced as a black woman, she now owns and runs three very successful businesses. Tia's own struggles prompted her to establish Black Women in Excellence Society a nonprofit, she herself finances and also volunteers her time, offering mentorship and support to Black women across Atlantic Canada. Support that she could not find during her own entrepreneurial journey and has now helped establish several successful local businesses. In this episode, we'll be learning with you as we chat with Tia Upshaw. Now, her credentials could take all day to list, so I'll just say this. She recently received the Nova Scotia Human Rights Award, specifically named in honor of the late Burnley Allen Rocky Jones for championing racial equality and fostering economic empowerment for women of color. She is a mother, an author, a serial entrepreneur, and a mentor. Additionally, she's received nominations for prestigious awards such as Business Leader of the Year and RBC Women of Influence and Atlantic Canada's Most Powerful Woman in Business 2023. Holy moly, let's dive right in. Tia. Okay, firstly, a huge congratulations on your recent Nova Scotia Human Rights Award win. That's, uh, you're the first person I've ever spoken to who's won the Nova Scotia Human Rights Award. So uh, you will go down in history uh, for that for me. Um, it's a fantastic honor to be chatting with you today. Um, so let's just, you know, dive right and start from the start here. Um, tell us about, if you will, the Black Women in Excellence origin story. Oh, my goodness. Well, um, first and foremost, Black Women in Excellence is a non-for-profit organization um, that was put in place to educate, inspire, and encourage Black women to become self-employed in sustainable businesses. Now, the origins of it, where it came from, a lot of it came from my experiences as being, you know, a black woman in business. But the day the inception idea came about was I was at an event and you probably remember Matt taking black autogen. They were doing a lot of events during um, the pandemic. I don't even want to say that word. I tried to forget the pandemic. And um, I went to it with a friend of mine just to spend time with her and go to dinner and all that stuff. And I'm walking up and down Cottage street. And I said, girl, there are a lot of people I know, and you know, and she was like, I know. And 90% of them, Matt, 85 to 90% of them were women, Black women. And I'm like, how did I not know this girl was doing this? You know, I'm on your Facebook. I we went to school together. We talk all the time. When did you start a business? I had never had a clue. 
So I went around talking to them, getting their brochures, business cards, all that stuff. And I would ask them, you know, like, how's it going? They're like, good, you know, when did you start it? Well, I've always done it, but because I'm laid off, because of the pandemic, or my kids can't go to school because of the pandemic, which means I got fired, I had to revert to doing this. So take all their information, all their business cards and whatnot, and I come home. Um, probably, I'll say a day or two later, um, I reach out to each of them in an email, and I ask, like, are you looking to go back to work, or are you looking to turn... Um, what you call a side hustle, which I absolutely hate that term, side hustle into, you know, a business, a business model. And the reactions and comments were so negative. They were like, no, like, who's going to think I'm a businesswoman? And where am I going to get capital? Who's going to take me serious? I don't have the education. I'm just from the hood. Like, I don't know shit about business, like literally. And I went to my fiance same night. And I said, babe, I, I want to do something. I want to do something with Black women to help them with their businesses. And he says to me, as long as it's not another business, because at this time we already had three companies we were running. He said, as long as it's not another business, I support you and go do what you got to do. Well, within two months from then, that was in September, by November 20th, uh, 20, November 27th, we were a non-for-profit organization registered with Joint Stocks. And, you know, when we laugh, looking back now, he says to me all the time, boy, this organization takes up more time than our businesses ever did. So we joke about it now because he was all for it because it wasn't a business, but non-for-profit's very hard. Through the last three years, you know, I've worked with uh, effective, actually effective this January 9th, um, 107 women I've trained um, in our 16-week startup, which is huge. Um, that's a Big number, it's huge uh, stats for, you know, Black women in Nova Scotia. A lot of organizations who work in the entrepreneurship landscape cannot provide those stats, but I work directly with all of them. Um, I'm going into my 12th cohort with another 20 women um, the 13th of January that are already registered, paid their deposits, which is amazing. So, you know, we, we do a lot with Black Women Excellence. I'm really glad that we started the organization because since... I started, no one else has done anything similar with women or women of color, even black women. And before me, there was nothing. So basically I started because I had a hard time in business and didn't know nothing about business and then taking black cottage and sparked my, uh, my passion to do something. There are so many questions that come out of that, but that's, I know. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's, that's amazing. Um, how would you feel about, you know, when you say you haven't had the opportunity to, to really lean into that like entre entrepreneurial muscle or, or you had to learn everything on the fly. Like, obviously, you know, something about, about business, you run three businesses yourself, right? So what about your story that kind of led you to the point when you felt like having these conversations with others that you saw, you know, you saw their challenges as real challenges, having experienced them. Like, tell me about a little yeah. bit about your story. I'll be honest with you. I really didn't know anything about business, Matt. I knew about a hustle. Um, because, you know, I lived a certain lifestyle with my ex at the time. So I knew how to make money and flip money and make more money. And so I knew how to do that, but I didn't know the, any business terminology. I, I didn't even know what entrepreneurship was until 2014. I didn't even know what that term meant because in the black community, you don't go to dinner and sit down Christmas dinner or Sunday dinner and talk about entrepreneurship. It's not a conversation starting a business. You don't start businesses. You go to school, get good grades, get a scholarship in, you know, whatever sport, and you go to university, come out and work for government or, you know, have a, 
great benefits, whatever company you work for, you do not start a business. It's too risky. And, you know, we, we just don't do that. So for me, I've never knew what it was. When I started my first business, it was a little boring cleaning company. And I ha- I started that business not purely because I want to be an entrepreneur, Matt. It was purely because I couldn't um, get a job. Two reasons. I had a criminal record. And the second one was that I never had child care for my children. And especially my youngest at the time, she would have been four. Four going on five. Never had support because me and my ex broke up and I was just doing my own thing. Um, it was a situation where it's like, girl, you got to get together. So I went to the dollar store and I purchased a whole bunch of supplies in the dollar store. And that same week I went door to door in the Halifax Hydrostone. That's where I started and knocked at doors because the Hydrostone to me, historically growing up where I grew up in Montgomery Park, which is five minutes away, was the rich area. Right. So for me, I knew let's go there. And I went there and I knocked at doors and I asked if they need cleaning services. And I was doing like six hour cleaning services, Matt, for 50 bucks. I didn't know nothing about my target market, my 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 niche. I didn't know anything about, um, you know, my KPIs, MVPs. I had no idea what that shit was. I just knew I need to make money to pay my bills and feed my kids that night. And I did that. Uh, for about three months. And then I started doing newspaper delivery for the Chronicle Herald. You don't need no education. no You don't need a clean criminal record check to do that. So I did that at nighttime um, from about 12 a.m. to about 5 a.m., uh, six nights a week. And in the daytime, I would do the cleaning, knocking at doors. Through all that process, I was able to gather you know, information, education, and understand, you know, what I was creating was a business. Um, Within three years, I ended up bringing somebody else on, uh, a Jamaican woman. She actually now has her own business. She does island island cuisine catering, Jamaican lady. And um, I brought her on to work with me, another lady named Nikki, and we just knocked it out. And I say within five years, I was running a sustainable, like a really profitable business. Um, we had great clients. I end up knowing my market niche. I knew what, you know, I wanted per hour. I knew what type of clients, who I want to work with, what divisions, like I knew everything I needed to know to get as far as I was at. Well, guess what happened? I got audited. I didn't know the difference between employee and a subcontractor or contractor. So labor standards was at my door. I did not have a business bank account. No one told me I had to. I was mixing my personal and my business together. I didn't know the difference. Once I got audited, that's when I realized that, okay, something got to give. And I went through a program with um, Wendy Barcos. And I did that program knowing my numbers, understand what my numbers were, and be confident as a woman in business. Even then, I did the program. I still didn't know nothing. Like I was still like, Maybe this is not for me. I'm not educated in business. I have grade 11 education. Like, what am I out here doing? I stuck to it. I literally stuck to it. And I went through the ups and downs, Matt. And by 2018, I started another business um, with Airbnb properties. And that business started purely because I was cleaning Airbnb properties. And as a cleaner, I always have stipulations. I'm big on contracts. So uh, they had to co-host me on their Airbnb listings. And we had 37 Airbnbs on contract. And once I got to see how Airbnb worked, 
how you stage, how the back end works, how you're, you can play around your numbers on holidays. I went and approached a gentleman. Everybody knows him, Ron Lovett. And I said, yo, Ron, because I went to high school with him. I was like, I did you a favor and now I need a favor from you. I want to rent one of your properties. Um, and he said to do what? Are you looking to move? And I was like, no, I want to do short-term rentals to Airbnb. And we talked about, you know, what I was looking for, heat, hot water, all that stuff. So I got, I ended up having a one bedroom from him. Once I did that one bedroom within eight months, I more than, it was more triple, quadruples, whatever you want to call it. I realized there was a market for it. And then I went back to him. And by, by the time we got to the pandemic, we had eight Airbnb properties and it was the most lucrative time of my life. I'll be honest with you. And, you know, a summer or a tourist season in Nova Scotia, we were making $90,000. From there, you know, I just decided to do, uh, you know, a vegan lipstick line because I love makeup. And I wanted to do something that was for women of color. So I did that also um, in 2020 and then Black Women in Excellence. So, you know, all my ups and downs through business, Matt, and, you know, I still don't really know too much about business. All my ups and downs is what created, you know, the curriculum and the foundation for Black Women in Excellence. Because if I went through it, I am not the only person that went through it or are going through it. Um, so I like to say now, I know a little bit about business. I'm doing my MBA right now and, you know, I'm enjoying that. A lot of it's boring because like I know the content, right? And I'm doing my MBA purely just to have that on my bucket list, not because I need it. Because you can't go to school to be an entrepreneur. That has to come naturally. Uh, coming from lived experience and coming from uh, like being able to teach that e experience and almost be a cautionary tale yourself to some yeah. of the folks that are following the Black Women in Excellence program could likely be a huge, a huge reminder too. You've probably found as well that there's an opportunity for people to really stop and listen to say, no, 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 I'm not saying, I'm not saying you can't do this because it says it in a textbook. I'm saying you can't do this because... I got audited. I this is a, this is my experience is telling you not to do this. So use me as a cautionary tale. I do that all the time. I say, I'm not saying it because people said not to do it or the books say not to, I'm saying don't do it because, oh my gosh, um, that happened with the CBA money that was coming out for, mm. you know, during the pandemic. A lot of black businesses, primarily women, could not obtain CBA because you know why? Number one, their businesses weren't registered. Number two, they never had a business bank account. So I keep saying to them, and I, to this day, to this day, when you go through my program, my 16 weeker, Matt, you have to, by week three, your business name has to be reserved or you don't move to week four, you're kicked out. Mm. By week six, your business name has to be registered. If not, you're kicked out. They have to develop business plans, financial projections, and a market analysis on their marketing, their target market. Um, you, or you won't move forward. And I do that because... We can't just start businesses and not understand the back end and the foundation of it. I make it fun. I have a lot of guest speakers that come in and I just keep it as real as possible and not so academic. Tia, so this is fascinating what you're saying, you know, um, and we often say uh, entrepreneurship is a learning journey. It's not a destination. Um, and so how would you characterize how you measure your success, especially, uh, you know, developing that ecosystem of black women really doing well in the business sector? That's a great question. The, the way I do it, the way I measure it is based on data and stats. I'm huge on that. 
So every time I do a 16 week startup and I'm just talking about the organization standpoint, um, I literally look at how many businesses were registered how, with joint stocks and then how many have re registered with their CRA B BN number. Then the following year, how many of those have like did their taxes and added their business onto that? Um, and then I kind of just gradually watch them through, you know, social media and everywhere else to see what they're doing, how they're scaling. If they're, you know, open up a brick and mortar, if they have a different division. If they're, you know, have staff now, which leads to HR, um, where they're at in their business. And that's how I say I'm being successful. What I'm creating, you know, here in Nova Scotia with Black women entrepreneurs, watching them soar, scale, win, and profit wonderfully is, you know, the way I look at my success. If they're winning, I'm winning. If there's no success coming out of the community, then I wouldn't be doing something. I'm not doing something right if I don't see it, right? If people don't see, you know, at, say, a Halifax Chamber of Commerce event, oh my God, there's so many more Black women in business here. Well, where does that come from, right? Because prior to Black Women in Excellence, you wouldn't see that demographic at those type of events. And now you start seeing a lot more Black women in business, you know, in mainstream, at certain business events, certain networking events. So that is, that's how I measure my success. Beautiful. And I'm going to ask you a tricky question. Uh, we, we realize that our capitalist system of usual day of, you know, usual way of doing business is not working for everybody. And it's messing up with the world uh, in, in so many different ways. I don't even have to say that. Um, so in your approach to business promotion, uh, do you take a, a social or environmental or other view of how you conduct and how they conduct business? The people that you, you work with, women that you work with, and the businesses that they are starting and succeeding right now, what kind of uh, social or environmental consciousness uh, they are developing as they, they engage in that, their businesses? Uh, both. Um, I talk often about um, racism in the environment. I reference the Bill off a lot. Um, a lot of other um, communities throughout Nova Scotia and Digby, Weymouth, um, Windsor, you know, we talk about where the dumps are put, all kinds of stuff. So I, I talk about that a lot, but the biggest one that I really preach is social impact. You know, all of my businesses are, you know, they should be registered and they should be, you know, have an objective with a social impact because I created them because of something I went through. The organization, exact same thing. So a lot of my women, when we're developing business models um, or we're doing business plans, I always push the envelope when they're doing their summary objective. How is this going to benefit community? The, the, your target market is one thing, yes. But can we push that envelope a little bit more in a target market where we can include a social impact? Where are we fitting that in? So I do, I talk about that often. Um, we have one lady, um, Empowerment for Hope, Wendelin Brown. And when she started, she just wanted to do an organization to help women in general um, who were human trafficked because she was a human traffic victim. And I, I pushed her. And I was like, okay, where's the social impact? Well, it's right there. I'm helping. No, no. Let, let's clean it up. Let's hone it in. Let's really make it um, a statement within your statement of what you're doing so people don't have to guess. Well, what's coming back to the community? What's the actual social impact? Yeah, you want to work, work with women, but what is it? And uh, working with her for a year, 
mind you, she fought against it. Um, she actually has her social impact. And, you know, right now she's doing um, an application for uh, government, not, yeah, government funding um, through Black Business Initiative and, you know, Tropicana and Group 3737. And she started her her application with the social impact that she is bringing. Um, so now that's that's one of her biggest parts when she's doing any type of speaking engagements. And she ends it with that too to remind people that, you know, more of us have to have, you know, we, we can have businesses. We love making money. I know I love making money. If you don't have a social impact to go with it, how good is that money? You know, I know people say all the time, money isn't everything. No, it's not, but money is great. Um, and you can be sustainable with money and you don't want, you don't lead to burnout with money, but what is what is the impact that money's having? What are you doing with the money? Are you re-putting like reinvesting it into another business? Are you putting it into the community? What are you actually doing? Would, would you have on the top of your mind a couple of more examples of how uh, somebody's lived experience has has influenced the way they conduct their business and become more inclusive? Uh, I would say me. My lived experience has is the the foundation of Black Women in Excellence. Well said. Um, I've taken, you know, a lot of pain and trauma and turned into a learning curve for me and a testimony for me and then turned that into an organization where I'm helping other Black women. And, you know, for me, it's not even a thing where I'm helping. I would like to say I'm just supporting them. I'm not helping. I'm supporting them on their journey. My businesses, same thing. You know, I have... Um, a small business uh, consulting firm right now that I started in June after I passed down my cleaning company after 10 years to my oldest daughter, uh, which is another impact on generational wealth in the Black community, which you don't really hear. But, you know, even the um, consultant business, I started that because I wanted to help Black men. And I made it a mission and, and, a, and a, a social impact to be able to bring on some of the Black men, and I don't even charge them. But I knew through Black Women in Excellence, we couldn't do that. Our mandate is Black women. But there were so many Black men that didn't know where to go. They were calling me. They were texting me. They were Facebooking me. And I had to keep saying no. So I was like, let me start something to work with the Black men. So that's what the small business consulting does. And the same with my vegan lipstick line. I partnered with a young university student um, at Dalhousie to come up with the, you know, the prototype and everything else. And it was meant to be for women of color, not black women, just women of color, because it's infused with Shia, Jehovah oil, all this stuff. Um, and they're strong pigmentated. But whenever there is, you know, a woman empowerment event or there's something for add some hosts or eat fry or something going on, I take some of the proceeds from that, those sales that month, and I give it to that organization or I actually give them product. So, I mean, everything I do, everything I do is from lived experiences to give right back. So Matt had introduced you to me as force of nature and by God, you know, was he, was he right or not? Thank you. <laughs> um, you, you work with, and obviously have a, have a very wide variety of network people that you work with directly, you know, uh, and they, while we can, we can, you know, uh, put that as a, as a small group of, you know, black women or men, they are very diverse people individually, I would assume. Very. If you were to share uh, with us, what are some of the biggest barriers that you think they face in making that progress happen? How, how would you characterize those barriers? 
Well, you're probably, the audience and the listeners are probably going to say capital. Uh, no, it's not capital. It's really not. It is the resources and mentorship and education. Those are the biggest barriers where, you know, because I work with a whole, not just Black women, I work with women of color just straight across the board. And for me, the stories are all the same. I don't know where to go, how to get it. I don't know where to start. How do you be capital ready? How do you get yourself ready to go into a loans officer and ask for money? How do you get yourself ready to look for an investor? It's not about the capital. It's about what comes before accessing the capital where we are being neglected. You, you, the representation really matters. There's not enough mentors out there. There's not enough people who really are intentional about creating spaces for women of color, which drives me nuts. You know, I've been doing this for three years and I still feel like I'm the only fish out there creating these spaces for black women and women of color. You know, we're doing a business vision board night tonight and I have 30 plus, you know, women who will be attending this. And we had sponsored from Good Robot, Tribe Network. One of my businesses is throwing in money because that type of event, even though the listeners are going to say, that's wonderful. What an empowering event for women in business. You can't get government funding for that. They will not allow you to pull money to do something like that. So guess who's covering the cost? Tia, along with the sponsors. So things like that, it drives me insane because we can't just concentrate on, oh, business plans and, you know, market analysis and target needs and all these things. What about what prepares them and builds confidence in them to be able to feel like they can obtain these things? We have to start creating spaces, even in network, doing networking events. There's a lot of networking events out here in Nova Scotia. There are. But how many of them will you see Black women at? I go to them because I don't care. Like I just walk in the room and I'm just like, hey, my pink lipstick and long nails and eyelashes. I don't care. But not everybody's like Tia. They don't have the strength and courage to walk into a space where you're only Black woman. I went to a networking event three weeks ago and it was great. I loved it. And the person who invited me said, how did my networking event go? And I said, it was great for your people. It was a white space. You had 77 women here and only one was Black. One. And I think you need to do better. So what I'm going to do with that, another social impact, what I'm going to do with that is in February, I'm looking to do a networking event called Excellence in Allies, where I'm bringing together, you know, women of color and, and women of non-color together at a networking event to start bridging those gaps. This is so much, uh, you know, close to my own personal experience um, in this field of work uh, globally, uh, you know, what we call the the agency you know the, the the very confidence to be in that space and how yeah. do you build that agency it is just phenomenal i'll i'll dump my script script for a second and ask you a a related question you know we are seeing um, unprecedented immigration in this province mm -hmm. and so many newcomers are coming and and many of them are not feeling included in a true sense of the nature that you are talking about. Uh, have you thought of, or has that idea crossed your mind of how do we create an inclusive space in our province, in the business sector, beyond what you are learning in, in, with, with, the, with the people you are working with? Okay, so that's gonna be a two-part answer. Number one, yes, I actually received um, 
a little bit of funding. It's like twenty-two thousand from um, the uh, provincial government this summer. So I held a ten-week entrepreneurship cohort that was dedicated to African Nova Scotian women, Caribbean women, and immigrant women to bring them collectively together. Because what is happening here is that not enough of us are, you know, I always tell people, you're, you don't pass as white. So when we walk down the street, someone doesn't look at Tia and then look at say Katrina and say, oh, she's from Nova Scotia and she's from Africa. They don't do that. They just say black woman, a woman of color. So we are all, we're all in this together. And um, that went great. And I want to do it again, but it's got to find more funding. But I will say there are three businesses I've worked with in the last year. And um, one's graduating from my uh, 16-week cohort in January. And her business is, the objective is to streamline the transition of women, immigrant women who are coming here who want to start businesses, want to figure out how we network here, how do we do it, and make the transition more easier. So that's going to be her consultant business. We, I just had one on my CTV morning live show. Uh, Sherry Fat and her business is Green Tulips Immigration. And hers has nothing to do with business, but it's talking about streamlining and integrating immigrants who come here to Canada via a student visa, work visa, or marriage, whatever it may be. There needs to be someone on the other end to, you know, open their arms to you to say, I got you when you get here, and I'm going to support you in the transition of immigrating to Canada. So I'm glad you asked that question because. It's been on my heart for a long time. And, you know, I, I I do some work with ISANS and I'm really bridging out there right now to see how I can bring everybody together because, you know, we're not in a white space. We're people of color in, in, in general. It doesn't matter. So we are one. Thank you, Tia. Um, I'm glad I asked that question and I might I'm be joining <laughs> and I might be joining your next course. By, by you the should. Like, I would love to have, I would love to have, you know, I always tell people just because I'm African Nova Scotian and I have to be very frank about it and I have to be out there speaking about it because individuals will think, oh, because she's African Nova Scotian, she only works with African Nova Scotians. And I make it very clear as many times as I can that if you are a woman of color or a black woman, I got you. You do not have to be African Nova Scotian. I have two st I have two staff members right now that are both Jamaican women. They came here on student visa from uh, for St. Mary's. And I have another one who is um, from uh, Nigeria or Uganda. One of them, sorry. And uh, she came here through St. Mary's, went through the METI program. They're not African Nova Scotian. Like, you're a Black woman. That's why I call it Black women in excellence and not Nova Scotian women in excellence. Beautiful. Count me in. Over to you, Matt. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, Anush. Yeah, uh, uh, force of nature indeed. Well, there's about 17 million questions coming from e from each of the things that you that you're bring up. And uh, uh, for some reason, the only one that comes to mind is uh, I'm sure that our friends at uh, at uh, Group 3737, as you as you said, would 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 love for us to actually say Group 3737 as well. Yeah. As, <laughs> I don't speak French. I wish I um, could. But yeah. hey, you know what? That's why I'm here. That's why I've got this microphone. Um, 
so uh, just before before I launch into some challenges, I will. I'm going to put on my Anuj hat for a second here. So for all you listeners at home, you're, you'll see like, why is Matt saying this? But um, uh, Tia, give us an idea. You know, you've spoken about the, your latest cohort, for instance, having having paid up their deposits and uh, receiving funding from the government. So how does Black Women in Excellence uh, operate? Give us an idea of overall uh, the, the the funding, the operational. Like, what what are you working with? Is it is it subsidized? Like, give us an idea overall of of what the uh, the financial picture is for Black Women in Excellence. Oh, the financial picture is not what people think it is, I'll be honest. For the first two years, my cleaning company carried the organization. So for the first uh, eight eight cohorts, I covered the cost for materials, for facilitators, for, you know, child care, honorarias. I covered it. And my fiance wasn't happy about that because I went into our savings and that's about $80,000, just like that. You know, the first people who actually believed in us was uh, Atlantic Credit Union. They gave us ten thousand dollars in 2022. And um, that was great because I didn't even know what to say. I was like, oh, my God, our first ten thousand. And that may sound small to others, but it was like, finally, um, we've got in little pots of money. And I'll say little pots because it's all project funding, Matt. Core funding, I don't know what the problem is, but all we receive is project funding. So every time I do a project, I have to go look for money every single time. If I'm doing, you know, the cohorts now, now employment Nova Scotia, just literally in October, decided to fund us for the for this year for three cohorts for the 16 week startup. And to uh, give us money for me to hire a, pro- a project coordinator, a program coordinator. Still not my fee. Like, so for me, I don't get CEO money. I don't get executive director money. Everything I do with the organization is for free. Like, I don't have, I don't get paid to do this. Every program besides the 16-weeker, I have to cover the cost or look for money or ask our sponsors. And it is, the the, the financial back end of it, it sucks. But for me, I wouldn't. I wouldn't stop doing this because it feels right. And I'm going to keep pushing and holding um, government uh, accountable, as most people know me for. Um, and I just, you know, I had a conversation with ACOA not too long ago. And I was like, what the heck does Black Women Excellence have to do to get core funding? Because you're giving $5.5 million to this one, this one, this one, and we can't even get 150000 for payroll. I'll say this, what needs to happen in order for finan- for Black women excellence to be able to have a leg to stand on financially is that organizations that are white ran with a, with a white mandate should not be able to start, you know, an initiative or a project for people of color to get people of color money. And that's what's happening right now. Um, Black women in excellence has been working with Black women across, you know, Canada, primarily Nova Scotia since 2020. Another organization that's been around for 30 years has never done this. Wage money comes out, or West money, sorry, for women, comes out. They create a, uh, an initiative for women of color. I'm like, oh, my God. And they got like $2.5 million. So instead of them, you know, partnering with Black Women in Excellence or, you know, contracting Black Women in Excellence in to facilitate, they cut an all-Black ran organization that has the mandate, core mandate, to work with women of color, Black women, they cut us out and they did their own thing. And this is the problem. So our, our finances, you know, we're just making it. Um, but thankfully, we have some great individuals, you know, good robot tribe network, um, uh, HRM apartments, Ross Cantwell. Oh, my God, the list will go on. Center for Women in Business. 
we have a lot of people that will go to back for Black Women Excellence. And when I call, they show up. And that's how we get our projects, initiatives and programs done. You can you can hear it in your voice, too. And and it is, you know, there's there's a cause for some celebration there when it comes to there being at least some funding uh, on the table. And I say that because we've had some conversations offline to you when you said that there's a project coordinator now that's got some funding for it. Not only is your fee not covered, but otherwise, it's just been you. It's just been me. And and there is. So, so can't, so to only imagine the amount of work that goes into that, just incredibly admirable. So it's a, it's a natural segue there. I mean, I think capacity um, funding just from your organizational perspective can be seen as challenges. So, and you mentioned that, you know, the, the, the very inception of the organization um, came from having faced challenges yourself yes. as an entrepreneur, as an African Nova Scotian entrepreneur, as a female African Nova, Nova Scotian entrepreneur. With all that being said, um, since having been founded, I'm assuming there have been some challenges faced by Black women in excellence. If you wanted to, how would you spill the tea on some of those challenges? Maybe, you know, let us know, uh, you know, what what you faced and maybe what you've done to overcome them or what you're doing right now to overcome them. I feel like every month there's a challenge with Black women in excellence. Um, Even just today, I went on Facebook and I did a rant and the rant was about government and holidays. Okay. So we're waiting for money right now for one of our projects. So our project is for Black History Month, 28-day series. I do it every year. And it's being video recorded, professionally done, and it's being um, moderated and everything else. So you already know what goes into this because you guys do this work. You can't do this in February, can you? You have to have this done in early January to get the edits done, to have it back to me so I can have it out to the community and all over you know, our website and social media by February 1st, that's Black History Month. I won't get the funding until the second, third week of January because right now government is on holiday. They already checked out. December 14th, they already checked out. So you know what that means, you guys? Tia has to now go back into her savings and grab $20,000 to pay our videographer. All that stuff has to get paid. The honorarias, any travel expenses for our participants have to be paid. So we can have this video shot done in early January and then I'll re- get reimbursed from them when they decide to send me the money. That is unacceptable. I don't think the government realized the trickle effect this has on small organizations, grassroots organizations or small businesses when we're waiting for funding. So that's number one. So overcoming it, I'm just going to go and take it. But I will say how many people can do that? How many organizations have the capabilities for their CEO or their executive director to go pull money from their accounts? They don't. Um, so it puts people in a bad situation. So this 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 whole thing with the with the government shutting down um, two weeks before even Christmas and then another week and a half after drives me nuts because we're just sitting ducks. Other things that we deal with would be volunteers. And I know everybody's burnt out. We have a great team of volunteers who volunteer. Um, when they can volunteer. So, you know, when you're asking people to always volunteer for so many different things, a lot of the organizations in the Black community, we are sharing the same volunteers. So guess what happens? This, the volunteers will be like, oh my goodness, I just did this for this organization two weeks ago. I just need time. T, I can't do it for you or vice versa. So we're dealing with that, you know, having the board be effective and understand their board roles and cleaning up the board. We like to give funding to do that. We like to give funding to have not a project bookkeeper. That's what we get funding for. Every time I apply for funding, I have to apply for extra funding to make sure I can pay a bookkeeper. Why can't we have a bookkeeper all year long? 
So there's so many different things, you guys, that I can go through what we deal with, but we overcome it every single time. We find a way. Force of nature. Yeah. <laughs> um, it is so easy to identify with what you are saying and and the underlying experience uh, that comes through to you. And I would like to think through uh, the next question with you. Uh, when we are creating uh, such impactful work and where you are probably ahead of the curve and where the rest of the world is lagging behind, it becomes extremely challenging and frustrating yes. uh, to, to face you know, your everyday reality. And that's where, in some ways, the global experience suggests that the model of social enterprise where your work itself has a way to create business revenue and, and reduce the dependence on the grant money or the public money uh, is an idea that so many people uh, are, are pursuing. And, 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 you know, what ideas may come to mind your, uh, you know, to, to create that alternative revenue stream to reduce, even though we would continue to challenge the system as to why is it so, uh, so inaccessible and why is it so unfair? At the same time, how do you want to liberate yourself and create a business revenue stream possibly mm -hmm. to be able to do what you do? And, and have you given it a thought at all? Yeah, I, I have. Um, and I'll be very frank when I say this statement. The community we work in as an African Nova Scotian woman working in a community predominantly of African Nova Scotians, we all know each other. They everybody knows everybody, and it's gonna. It, you know, it's hard to transition over to a social enterprise and start. You know, incurring fees or you know charging for certain services because they don't look at it that it's going back to the organization. They look at it as a a, a lens of oh we're giving to you more money. So that is the problem right now that I'm trying to figure out how we can kind of mitigate through that because my demographic is to work with Black women. If I change the model to work with, you know, immigrant women, I wouldn't have that problem. True. I wouldn't. True. Um, so Very right interesting. Now, it's very interesting. You know, I always say in our community, we're a crabs in a bucket and we're still on that colonialist, you know, slave mentality mindset in the African Nova Scotian community. And it's 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 a bad thing. Um, so yes, I've given thought of it. I have a board. I wish I can show you guys. I have a, two whiteboards, and um, the goal for twenty twenty four to twenty twenty five is to social enterprise, because what I do right now is a social enterprise. And one of the biggest benefits of a social enterprise is not only the community impact that I would have, but I want to create, you know, a, a small miniature micro grant program for, you know, black women. You can't do that with government money. They could give me core funding. I still can't do it with that core funding. Mm -hmm. I would have to be able to generate revenue in order to put it into a bucket that, you know, at the end of the year, we have $30,000. We can give out $5,000 each to so many women who need that? Because sometimes only five thousand dollars is all somebody needs to, you know, kickstart that business. That's all they need. Um, so we do have goals. We keep talking about this social enterprise. I mentioned it to Matt before. I mentioned it to Bradley. I mentioned it to Lisa Lothers with Common Goods. Um, even Dave. I've literally had this conversation over the last six months, probably twenty times, because that's where we need to head 
in that direction. And I know that to be sustainable. More power to you, Tia. And please, I, I think I, I'm speaking on behalf of Just Good Business and Matt that count us in uh, to be partner uh, in that crime with you moving forward. Yes. In, in whatever way we can contribute, uh, be it amplifying your voice and your space, uh, be it amplifying your, your insights and, and, and doing policy work, and be it uh, you know, doing other things. So uh, let's keep continuing this discussion. Uh, and, and to our listeners, what an amazing conversation. Thank you, Tia, for that insightful, uh, no holds barred, uh, <laughs> honest, authentic, uh, just as it is. Uh, it is so refreshing. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for having me, you guys. I loved it. I love having conversation because conversation creates change. Beautiful. The passion, the fire, the intention, and the candor had us fired up after finishing this talk. If you wanna hear more about Tia, I'd highly recommend picking up her memoir, My Journey, My Success, A Story of Resilience and Empowerment, available now on Amazon. After the interview, Tia shared how she wants to expand and reach out to other women of color. So many new immigrants that have come to Nova Scotia who face similar barriers in starting their own businesses. Today, we learned how her own work has just begun. If you liked what you heard today, subscribe to tune in for more. I'm Matt. And I'm Anuj. And this has been Just Good Business Podcast.